17. The admiration of 19 centuries. The laurel crown of the Olympian victor was far more precious to the Grecian youth than the gilded prizes to our modern genius. A popular lecturer has truly remarked, that, we make brilliant mathematicians and miserable dyspeptics, fine linguists with bronchial throats, good writers with narrow chests and pale complexions, smart scholars, but not that union, which the ancients prized, of a sound mind in a sound body, the brain becomes the chief working muscle of the system, we refine and re-refine the intellectual powers down to a diamond point and brilliancy, as if they were the sole or reigning faculties, and we had not a physical nature binding us to earth, and a spiritual nature binding us to the great heavens and the greater God who inhabits them, thus the university becomes a sort of splendid hospital with this difference, that the hospital cures, while the university creates disease, most of them are indicted at the bar of public opinion for taking the finest young brain and blood of the country, and, after working upon them for four years, returning them to their homes skilled indeed to perform certain linguistic and mathematical dexterities, but very much below par in health and endurance, and, in short, seriously damaged and physically demoralized, we read with reverence the sublime teachings of Aristotle and Plato, we mark the grandeur of Homer and the delicate beauties of Virgil, but we do not seek to reproduce in our modern institutions the gymnasium, which was the real foundation of their genius. Colleges which are now entering upon their career, should make ample provision for those exercises which develop the physical man. This lack of bodily training is common with all classes, and its effects are written in indelible characters on the faces and forms of old and young. Constrained positions in sitting restrict the movements of the diaphragm and ribs and often cause diseases of the spine, or unnatural curvatures, which prove disastrous to health and happiness. The head should be held erect and the shoulders thrown backward, so that at each inspiration the lungs may be fully expanded. Physical exercise should never be too violent or too prolonged. Severe physical labor, and athletic sports, if indulged into an extreme degree, produce undue excitability of the heart and sometimes cause it to become enlarged. There is a form of heart disease induced by undue exertion which may be called a wearing out or wasting away of that organ. It is common in those persons whose occupations expose them to excessive physical labor for too many hours together. This feebleness of heart is felt but little by vigorous persons under 40 years of age, but in those who have passed this age it becomes manifest. However, when any person so affected is attacked by any acute disease, the heart is more liable to fail, and thus cause a fatal termination. Aneurysm of the aorta or the large arteries branching off from it, which is a dilatation of the walls of these vessels, caused by the rupture of one or two of their coats, is generally induced by excessive physical strain, such as lifting heavy weights, or carrying weights up long flights of stairs, violent horseback exercise, or hurrying to catch a train or street car. An erect carriage is not only essential to health, but adds grace and beauty to every movement, although man was made to stand erect, thus indicating his superiority over all other animals, yet custom has done much to curve that magnificent central column, upon the summit of which rests the grand dome of thought, many young persons unconsciously acquire the habit of throwing the shoulders forward, the spinal column is weakened by this unnatural posture, its vertebrae become so sensitive and distorted that they cannot easily support the weight of the body or sustain its equilibrium, it is generally believed that persons of sedentary habits are more liable to become round-shouldered than any other class of individuals. Observation shows, on the contrary, that the manual laborer, or even the idler, often acquires this stooping posture. It can be remedied, 
not by artificial braces, but by habitually throwing the shoulders backwards, deformed trunks and crooked spines, although sometimes the effects of disease are more frequently the results of carelessness. Schock has remarked that, one standing among his fellow men is quite as important a matter in a physiological, as in a social sense. Walking is one of the most efficient means of physical culture, as it calls all the muscles into action and produces the amount of tension requisite for their tonicity. Long walks or protracted physical exercise of any kind should never be undertaken immediately after meals. The first essential to a healthful walk is a pleasurable object, beautiful scenery, rambles in meadows rich with fragrant grasses, or along the flowery banks of water courses, affords an agreeable stimulus which sends the blood through the vital channels with unwanted force, and imparts to the cheeks the ruddy glow of health. Our poets acknowledge the silent influence of nature. Wordsworth has expressed this thought in his own sublime way, the floating clouds their state shall lend to her, for her the willow bent, nor shall she fail to see. Even in the motions of the storm grace that shall mold the maidens form my silent sympathy, the stars of midnight shall be dear to her, and she shall lean her ear in many a secret place where rivulets dance their wayward round, and beauty, born of murmuring sound, shall pass into her face. Baseball, cricket, boxing, and fencing, are all manly exercises when practiced solely with a view to their hygienic advantages and as such had our approval. The art of swimming was regarded by the Greeks as an important accomplishment, as a hygienic agency. It occupies a high place in physical culture. The varied movements impart strength and elasticity to the muscles. It is as charming a recreation for women and girls as for men and boys. Furthermore, it is not only a means of physical culture, but is often essential for self-preservation. The exercises of the gymnasium are especially productive of health and longevity. The most important of these are balancing, leaping, climbing, wrestling, and throwing, all of which are especially adapted to the development of the muscles. In conclusion, we offer the following suggestions. This, all gymnastic exercises should be practiced in the morning, and in the open air, extremes should be avoided, and it should be always borne in mind, that their chief object is to combine, in a proper proportion, mental and physical development, in every relation of life we should cultivate all those faculties which pertain to our physical, moral, and mental natures, subdue our passions, and nature will bestow upon us her richest rewards of health, beauty, and happiness, cycling. If one were asked what athletic exercise deserves to be the most popular in America today, the answer would of necessity be cycling. The bicycle is being used by people of all ages and conditions of health in daily life. Its hygienic value as a means to healthy exercise cannot be overestimated. In this, as in everything else, immoderation is to be condemned, particularly where persons have not had sufficient training to take long spins or attempt racing. Beginners should ride only 10 or 12 minutes at a time resting then to permit the circulation to become equalized. In all cyclists, at all ages, in veteran riders as well as those not practiced in the art, their island in the beginning of each attempt, a quickened circulation, the pulse is full and bounding, and rarely falls under a hundred pulsations per minute. So long as the exercise is continued, an increase of cardiac motion is observable, and a vigorous circulation is kept up. This accounts for the astounding journeys a fully trained cyclist can accomplish, and also for his endurance without sleep. In spite of the quickened motion of the heart, rarely have riders been known to grow giddy or show symptoms of cardiac embarrassment. A good rider may climb a hill without trouble, 
yet be unable to climb a flight of stairs without breathlessness and palpitation. Bicycle riding as a means for acquiring strength and vigor, improving the circulation and developing the respiratory organs, is an excelled, fast riding, or, scorching, among those not used to physical exertion, and leaning over the handlebars so as to ride in a stooping position, are to be heartily condemned. The latter prevents the lungs from getting their full expansion, and cultivates a tendency to around shoulders. Men or women suffering from diseases of the sexual organs should, before riding, consult the physician having their case in charge. Riding on horseback is a fine exercise for both sexes. It promotes digestion, improves the circulation, and expands and develops the respiratory organs. The pure, fresh air, pleasant scenery, and pleasurable excitement impart renewed vigor to the equestrian. In the southern states it is a universal accomplishment, and children are taught to ride as well as to walk. Dancing, notwithstanding the fact that dancing has been perverted to the basest purposes, has been made the fruitful source of dissipation, and has often laid the foundation for disease. It is yet capable of being made to minister to health and happiness. As a means of physical culture, it favors the development of the muscular system, and promotes health and cheerfulness. When practiced for this purpose, Schott terms it the best of all indoor exercises, as it brings to bear upon the physical system a great number of energizing and harmonious influences. Mental culture, the brain, like all other organs of the body, requires alternate exercise and repose, and, in physical endurance, it is subject to general physiological laws. When exercised with moderation it acquires strength, vigor, and an accelerated activity. Excessive mental exertion is liable to a result in softening of the brain, and various nervous diseases, sometimes culminating in insanity, and in many instances proving fatal to a life. The mere votaries of pleasure who avoid all effort of the mind, fall into the opposite error. In all cases of intellectual activity, the exertions should be directed to some subject interesting to the student. In this manner duty will become a pleasure, which in turn will reinvigorate the mental functions. When the mind in confined to a one subject for any considerable length of time together, it becomes fatigued, and requires relaxation, recreation, rest. This may be obtained by directing the attention to some other subject, either study or amusement, the latter of which is preferable. The amusement, however, may be of an intellectual or physical character or both combined, and will, if properly conducted, restore vigor to both mind and body. Prominent among physical phenomena is the mutual relation between the brain and the organs of nutrition. Mental exertion should be avoided for at least one hour after a hearty meal, and all mental labor which requires concentration of thought ought to be accomplished in the earlier portion of the day, when the brain is refreshed and repaired by the night's repose. Mental, like physical endurance, is modified by age, health and development. A person accustomed to concentration of thought can endure a longer mental strain than one inured to manual labor only. One of the most injurious customs, is the cultivation of the intellect at the expense of the physical powers. Mental culture during childhood, one of the greatest mistakes which people make in the management of their children, is to overtask their mental faculties. Although it is exceedingly gratifying to see children acquire knowledge, and manifest an understanding far beyond their years, this gratification is often purchased too dearly. For precocious children are apt to die young. The tissue of the brain and nerves of children is very delicate, they have not yet acquired the powers of endurance which older persons possess. The greater portion of the nutriment assimilated, is required for growth and organic development. 
and they can ill afford its expenditure for mental manifestations. They receive impressions easier and learn much more readily than in after life, but it is at the expense of the physical organization. Their mental faculties continue to be developed by the expenditure of brain nutriment, while physical growth and the powers of endurance are arrested. It is much better to give physical development the precedence in order that the mental organism may be well supported and its operations carried into effect, for it must be apparent to all that an ordinary intellect in a healthy body is capable of accomplishing infinitely more than a strong mind in a weak body. Regularity should be observed in exercising the mental functions. For this reason a fixed order in the pursuit of any literary occupation is very essential. The pursuit of the most abstruse studies will thus become habitual and comparatively easy. A consequence of systematic application. Mental labor should always cease when the train of thought becomes confused, and there is the slightest sensation of depression. All distracting influences should be absent from the mind, in order to facilitate intense study. For the intellect cannot attend perfectly to two subjects at the same time. Painful sensations always have a tendency to paralyze mental exertion. Great care should be taken that the head is not subjected to injury of any kind, as it is almost invariably accompanied by some nervous derangement. Exposure to extreme heat should be carefully avoided. An attack of sunstroke although it may not be immediately fatal, may occasion tumors in the brain, or some organic disease. Sleep. For all animated beings sleep is an imperious necessity, as indispensable as food. The welfare of man requires alternate periods of activity and repose. It is a well-established physiological fact, that during the wakeful hours the vital energies are being expended, the powers of life diminished, and, if wakefulness is continued beyond a certain limit, the system becomes enfeebled and death is the result. During sleep there is a temporary cessation of vital expenditures, and a recuperation of all the forces. Under the influence of sleep, the blood is refreshed, the brain recruited, physical sufferings are extinguished, mental troubles are removed, the organism is relieved, and hope returns to the heart. The severest punishment which can be inflicted upon a person, is to entirely deprive him of sleep. In China, a few years since, three criminals were sentenced to be kept awake until they should die. To do this it was necessary to keep a guard over them. The sentinels were armed with sharp, blunt instruments, with which to go the victims and thus prevent them from sleeping. Life soon became a burden, and, although they were well fed during the time, death occurred sooner than it would have done had starvation been the punishment. Sleeping rooms. The sleeping rooms should be large and well ventilated, and the air kept moderately cool. The necessity for a fire may be determined by the health of the occupant. Besides maintaining a proper temperature in the room, a little fire is full, especially if in a grate. For the purpose of securing good ventilation, the windows should not be so arranged as to allow a draft upon the body during the night, but yet so adjusted that the inmate may obtain plenty of fresh air. The bed should not be too soft, but rather hard. Feathers give off animal emanations of an injurious character, and impart a feeling of lassitude and debility to those sleeping on them. No more coverings should be used than are actually necessary for the comfort of the individual. Cotton sheets are warmer than linen, and answer equally as well. Sleeping alone, certain effluvia are thrown off from our persons, and when two individuals sleep together each inhales from the other more or less of these emanations. There is little doubt that consumption, and many other diseases, not usually considered contagious, are sometimes communicated in this manner. When it is not practicable for individuals to occupy separate beds, the persons sleeping together should be of about the same age, and in good health. 
Numerous cases had occurred in which healthy, robust children had gradually declined and died within a few months, from the evil effects of sleeping with old people. Again, those in feeble health have been greatly benefited, and even restored, by sleeping with others who were young and healthy. Time for sleep. Night is the proper time for sleep. One day is substituted for night. The sleep obtained does not fully restore the exhausted energies of the system. Nature does not allow her laws to be broken with impunity. Children require more sleep than old persons. They are sometimes stupefied with soothing syrups and preparations of opium in order to get them temporarily out of the way. Such narcotics are very injurious and dangerous. We have known a young child to be killed by a single drop of laudanum. This practice, therefore, cannot be too emphatically condemned. How to put children to bed. The following characteristic lines are from the pen of Fanny Fern, and contain such good advice that we cannot refrain from quoting them, not with a reproof for any of the day's sins of omission or commission. Take any other time than bedtime for that. If you ever heard a little creature sighing or sobbing in its sleep, you could never do this. Seal their closing eyelids with a kiss and a blessing. The time will come, all too soon, when they will lay their heads upon their pillows lacking both. Let them at least have the sweet memory of happy childhood, of which no future sorrow or trouble can rob them. Give them their rosy youth, nor need this involve wild license. The judicious parent will not so mistake my meaning. If you ever met the man or the woman, whose eyes have suddenly filled when a little child has crept trustingly to its mother's breast, you may have seen one in whose childhood's home dignity and severity stood where love and pity should have been. Too much indulgence has ruined thousands of children. Too much love not one. Position in sleep. The proper position in sleep is upon the right side. The orifice leading from the stomach to the bowels being on this side. This position favors the passage of the contents into the duodenum. Lying on the back is injurious. Since by so doing the spine becomes heated. Especially if the person sleeps on feathers. The circulation is obstructed and local congestions are encouraged. The face should never be covered during sleep since it necessitates the breathing of the same air over again, together with the emanations from the body, the amount of sleep, the amount of sleep required varies with the age, habits, condition, and peculiarities of the individual, no definite rule can be given for the guidance of all, the average amount required, however, is 8 or 9 hours out of the 24, some persons need more than this, while others can do with less, since both body and mind are recuperated by sleep, the more they are exhausted the more sleep is required. A person employed at mental labor should have more than one who is nearly expending muscular strength. Six hours of unbroken sleep do more to refresh and revive than ten when frequently interrupted. If it is too prolonged it weakens and stupefies both body and mind. If an insufficient amount is taken the flagging energies are not restored. Persons who eat much, or use stimulants generally require more than others. To sleep regularity is desirable. If a person goes to bed at a certain hour for several nights in succession, it will soon become a habit. The same holds true with regard to arising. If children are put to sleep at a stated hour for several days in succession, it will soon become a habit with them. Cleanliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness, and is essential to the health and vigor of the system. Its importance cannot be overestimated, and it should be inculcated early on the minds of the young, even from the body's purity. The mind receives a secret sympathetic aid, when we consider the functions of the skin, with its myriads of minute glands, innumerable little tubes, employed in removing the worn out, useless matter from the system, 
we cannot fail to appreciate the utility of frequent bathing with soap and water, unless these excretions are removed, the glands become obstructed, their functions are arrested, and unpleasant odors arise, many persons think because they daily bathe the face, neck, and hands, dress the hair becomingly and remove the dirt from their clothing that the height of cleanliness has been reached, from a hygienic point of view, bathing the entire body is of much greater importance, Notwithstanding the necessity for cleanliness of the body, we occasionally meet with persons who, although particular about their personal appearance, permit their bodies to be for weeks and even months without a bath. Such neglect should never exceed one week. Plenty of sunlight and at least one or two general baths every week are essential to perfect health. Cleanliness is necessary to health, beauty, attractiveness, and a cheerful disposition. Chapter IV. Hygiene of the Reproductive Organs. The structure and functions of organized bodies are subject to continual alteration. The changes of nutrition and growth, which are constantly taking place in the tissues render them at the same time the seat of repair and waste, of renovation and decomposition, of life and death. The plant germinates and blossoms, then withers and decays. Animal life, in like manner, comes into being, grows to maturity, fades, and dies. It island therefore, essential to the perpetuation of life that new organisms be provided to take the place of those which are passing out of existence. There is no physiological process which presents more interesting phenomena than that of reproduction, which includes the formation, as well as the development of new beings. Since self-preservation is nature's first law, the desire for food is a most powerful instinct in all living animals. Not inferior to this law is that for the perpetuation of the race, and for this purpose, throughout the animal and vegetable kingdoms, we find the biblical statement literally illustrated, male and female created he them. Health is the gauge by which the prosperity of a people may be measured. Were we to trace the history of nations, their rise and fall, we would find that much of the barbarism and crime, degradation and vice, as well as their decline and final extinction, was due to licentiousness and sexual excesses, since there is an intimate relation between mind and body. When the body is enfeebled the mind becomes enervated. Morbid conditions of the body prevent the highest mental development, and, on the other hand, when the mind is debilitated, general depravity, physical as well as mental, is the result. The highest development of the body results from the equal and harmonious cultivation of all the mental powers. The perfect development and health of the physical organs is therefore essential to the happiness of mankind, but, before health can be ensured the nature and general functions of the physical system must be understood. This being done. The question naturally arises, how can health be best maintained and longevity secured? Influence of food. We have previously noticed the effects which food, exercise, and other hygienic agencies, have upon digestion, circulation, and respiration, and we find that they exert a not less potent influence upon the health of the generative organs. Excessive stimulation excites the sexual passions. For this reason, Children should not be immoderately indulged in highly seasoned foods. Those persons who have great muscular vigor are endowed with violent passions, and unless restrained by moral considerations, are very likely to be overcome by their animal propensities. Alcoholic stimulants have a debasing influence upon the whole system, and especially upon the sexual organs, they excite the animal and debase the moral nature, they exhaust the vitality, and, after the excitement, which they temporarily induce, has passed away, the body is left in a prostrate condition, physical labor modifies the passions, 
labor consumes the surplus vitality which a person may possess, and no better protective can be found against the gratification of the passions, unless it be high moral training, than daily toil extended to such a degree as to produce fatigue. Labor determines the blood to the surface and to other parts of the body, and prevents excitement and congestion of the sexual centers. If, by education or association, the passions of children be excited, they will be increased. If, on the contrary, they be taught to avoid these social or solitary evils, they will be abated. Let them be educated to a work and the intellectual faculties will assert their sway. The moral powers will be strengthened, and the body better developed. For purity of mind is the result of the perfect development of man. Influences of climate. Individuals possess distinguishing peculiarities characteristic of the nation to which they belong. Climate exerts a powerful influence upon mankind. In tropical regions the inhabitants are enervated, effeminate, and sensual. The rich live in luxury and ease. Vice is unrestrained and licensed and bridled. When the animal propensities are allowed to predominate, the mental faculties are kept in subjection. Hence races that inhabit those latitudes rarely produce scholars or philosophers. A warm climate hastens the development of the reproductive organs. Men and women become mature at a much earlier age in those regions, than in countries where the temperature is lower. In like manner there is a tendency to premature enfeeblement. For the earlier the system matures, the sooner it deteriorates. Man is a social being. History demonstrates that when man is deprived of the society of women, he becomes reckless, vicious depraved, and even barbarous in his habits, thus illustrating the maxim, it is not good for man to be alone, social intercourse promotes mental and physical development, the development of the individual implies the unfolding of every power, both physical and mental, nothing so regulates and restrains passion as a healthy condition of the organs through which it finds expression, and every organ of the body is powerful in proportion to its soundness, the propensities play a prominent part in the education of the child, When properly disciplined and held in subordination to the higher faculties, they constitute an important factor in the economy of man. Boys are more liable to be morbidly excited when secluded from the society of girls, and vice versa. Again, when the sexes are accustomed to associate, the passions are not apt to be aroused, because of the natural antagonistic constitutional elements. The influence of the one refines, and ennobles the other. Let children be taught to understand their natures and knowing them, they will learn self-government. As man rises in education and moral feeling he proportionately rises in the power of self-restraint, and consequently as he becomes deprived of this wholesome law of discipline he sinks into self-indulgence and the brutality of savage life. The passions may be aroused by the language, appearance or dress of the opposite sex. A word spoken without any impure intent is often construed in a very different sense by one whose passions color the thought and is made to convey an impression entirely unlike that which was intended by the speaker. Also, the dress may be of such a character as to excite the sexual passion. The manner in which the apparel is worn is often so conspicuous as to become body, thereby appealing to the libidinous desires, rather than awakening an admiration for the mental qualities. Obscene literature. Literature is a powerful agent either for good or evil. If we would improve the morals, choice literature must be selected whether it be that which realizes the ideal, or idealizes the real, obscene literature, or books written for the express purpose of exciting or intensifying sexual desires in the young, goes to an illicit gratification of the passions, and ruins the moral and physical nature. It not infrequently happens that a child is born with a vigorous, 
mental organism which promises a brilliant future, but manhood finds him incompetent, debilitated, and totally incapacitated for mental or manual labor. This may be the result of youthful indiscretion, ignorantly committed, but not infrequently it is the effect of a pernicious literature which inflames the imagination, tramples upon reason, and describes to the youth a realm where the passions are the ruling deities. Many persons are born into the world with disordered organizations for which they are not themselves responsible. Such individuals are entitled to the sympathy of humanity, dyspepsia, scrofula, consumption, and a thousand ills to which mankind is heir, are inherited from parents. The results of ill-assorted marriages, intoxicated parents often produce offspring utterly demented. Children of healthy parents, with good constitutions, are usually healthy and intelligent. There are marked varieties of character in children of the same parents. One manifests great precocity, another is below the average in mental attainments, one is amiable, another irritable in disposition, indeed. There are often as great differences between children of the same, as of different families. This is due to the physical and mental conditions of the parents, more especially the mother, not only at the time of the impregnation but also during the period intervening between conception and the birth of the offspring. The ancients regarded courage as the principal virtue. Yes, purity is so estimated. Moral purity is an essential requisite to the growth and perfection of the character. Self-abuse and old miseries arise from the pollution of the body. Self-pollution, or onanism, is one of the most prolific sources of evil, since it leads both to the degradation of body and mind. It is practiced more or less by members of both sexes, and the habit once established, is overcome with the greatest difficulty. It is the source of numerous diseases which derange the functional activity of the organs involved, and eventually impair the constitution. This vicious habit is often practiced by those who are ignorant of its dangerous results. Statistics show that insanity is frequently caused by masturbation. Immoderate indulgence in any practice is deleterious to the individual. Emphatically true is this with regard to sexual excesses. Not infrequently does the marriage rite cover a multitude of sins. The abuse of the conjugal relation produced, 